It's the year 1987, and the Bulls general manager, Jerry Krause, is about to interview Phil Jackson for an assistant coach opportunity. Jackson, known for his unorthodox approach to the game, arrives at the interview in true Jackson fashion. Hawaiian shirt, shorts, sandals, and a hat. His unconventional appearance raises eyebrows, but Krause sees beyond the surface, recognizing the brilliance within. Krause first scouted him as a player at North Dakota and later saw him coach in Albany. What he saw in Jackson was an innate brightness. Jackson joined the Bulls as an assistant coach, ready to make his mark on the team's future. Under the guidance of head coach Doug Collins, the Bulls had already tasted success, but the ultimate goal, the championship, continued to elude them. Heading into the 1990 season, the Bulls' decision-makers decided to cut ties with Collins. The Bulls' management sought a new direction, a fresh perspective that could elevate the team and help them overcome the Detroit Pistons. According to sources at the time, Bulls' management told Collins he was fired as coach because he was too hard on his players, had lost their respect, and tried to undermine general manager Jerry Krause. Jackson was promoted to head coach. Little did the NBA world know that this hire would flip the league on its head. In his first year as coach, Jackson helped push the Pistons to seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals. The confidence was growing in the Bulls camp. We beat them in Detroit. Um, We hadn't beaten them in Detroit for about 10 games. And once we did, it gave us confidence. We needed to know that we could beat them on their court. In the conference championship series the year before, we had defended our home court well, but we went up there and got stomped in. Game seven. Jackson had just started to implement a new tactic, a revolutionary offensive system known as the triangle offense. Welcome basketball fans to Battle of the Ballers. This is the podcast where we dive deep into the legendary rivalries that transformed the NBA. In this series, we unravel the intense rivalry between two of the greatest titans of the game, Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas. During Jackson's first season as coach in 1990, Michael Jordan led Chicago to the second best record in the East at 55 wins and 27 losses behind the defending champion Pistons led by Isaiah Thomas, who finished with 59 wins and 23 losses. In the Eastern Conference Finals rematch, Chicago pushed Detroit to the limit, but the Pistons showed their dominance and won Game 7 at home. The Pistons went on to win their second straight NBA title against the Portland Trailblazers. The Bulls knew they had to regroup and come back stronger. They had to go back to the drawing board. They understood that to overcome the Pistons' Jordan rules, they needed an offensive system that could outmaneuver any opponent. That's when the seeds of change were sown. The evolution of the legendary triangle offense began. Jackson, renowned for his basketball intellect, called upon Tex Winter, the Bulls' esteemed assistant coach and visionary offensive mind. Winter had long believed in the power of the triangle offense, a system designed to promote teamwork, spacing, and intelligent decision-making on the court. They understood that relying solely on Jordan's scoring prowess wouldn't be enough to conquer the league's elite. It was time to create a symphony of offensive cohesion, a system that would unlock the potential of every player on the roster. This approach didn't come without its challenges, leading to a rocky start to the Jackson and Jordan relationship. 
Jackson had to be blunt with Jordan. I don't anticipate you're going to be the scoring champion in league. The spotlight is on the ball. If you're the guy that's always going to have the ball, teams can generate a defense against that. That is what happened with the Pistons the last couple of years. Jordan was a star in the league, and this new offensive system was designed for the ball to be taken out of his hands, and it was clear that he was not happy about it. I wasn't a Phil Jackson fan. When he first came in, um, he was coming in to take the ball out of my hands. Doug was putting the ball in my hands. Jackson wasted no time in making his mark on the team. Although Jordan decided to take things into his own hands by putting on about 15 pounds of muscle in the summer of 1990 to address the physicality of the bad boys, Jackson recognised the need for a tactical adjustment that could counter the Pistons' suffocating Jordan Rules defence. The triangle offence is a complex and strategic system that aims to create space, ball movement and player motion to maximise scoring opportunities. It requires a deep understanding of basketball fundamentals, teamwork and precise execution. The triangle offence gets its name from the shape formed by three players on the strong side of the court, with two players in the corners and one player at the low post. This formation provides options for ball movement, player cuts and screens, creating a continuous flow of movement and opportunities for open shots. Let's break down how the triangle offense works. The player at the low post, often a skilled big man, becomes a focal point of the offense. They have the option to shoot, pass the cutters, or kick the ball out to the perimeter. The two players in the corners serve as floor spaces, ready to receive passes for open three-point shots or make cuts to the basket. The remaining two players on the weak side of the court act as options for swing passes, providing additional spacing and creating confusion for the defense. Previous head coach Collins' approach was more catered to Michael, and Jackson's approach was more catered to the team. It is an understatement to say that Jordan wasn't a fan of that at first, going as far as to say... Everybody has an opportunity to touch the ball, but I, but I didn't want Bill Cartwright to have the ball with five seconds left. That's not equal opportunity offense. That's fucking bullshit. The Bulls entered the 1991 season with renewed hope and determination. With Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant by Jordan's side, they knew they had the talent, the depth, and the drive to challenge the Pistons once again. The Bulls finished in first place in the Eastern Conference with a 61 win and 21 loss record, surpassing their previous franchise best from the 1971-1972 season. The Bulls had the best team offensive rating and the seventh best team defensive rating in the NBA. Meanwhile, The Pistons continued their reign as the team to beat in the East. Isaiah Thomas, the previous year's Finals MVP, averaged 16.2 points, 9.3 assists, and 1.6 steals per game for the season, but played just 48 games during the regular season due to a wrist injury. The Pistons managed a 50-win, 32-loss record, 11 games behind the Bulls. The stage was set for another epic showdown between the Bulls and the Pistons in the 1991 Eastern Conference Finals. This time, the Bulls were armed with a deeper roster and a burning desire to prove themselves against their nemesis. The story had a different ending this time. Jordan, fueled by the memory of previous defeats, unleashed his full arsenal of skills, displaying his scoring prowess and leadership on the court. The Jordan rules were still in effect, but this time, the Bulls were better prepared to counter them. The series was intense, but to the delight of the Bulls fans, Chicago swept the Pistons, winning the series in four games. It was a significant moment for Jordan and the Bulls, 
as they had conquered their arch nemesis and secured a spot in the NBA Finals. This brings us to the walk-off game. In the previous playoff matchups, Jordan had always displayed good sportsmanship, even in defeat. He would shake hands with the opposing players, acknowledging their victory and showing respect. However, this time, as Jordan approached Isaiah Thomas and the Pistons players, ready to extend his hand in a gesture of sportsmanship, he was met with disappointment. The Pistons walked off the court without acknowledging the Bulls, bypassing their bench entirely. It was a surprising and bitter moment for Jordan, who couldn't believe the lack of sportsmanship displayed by Thomas and his teammates. I I think the greeting is for the Pistons as they are headed off as time runs down. Pistons wasting no time in getting out of here. Now a timeout was called. They left the bench, although there's seven and nine, ten seconds remaining. The Pistons just left. That's a three-point. The snub from the Pistons and their refusal to acknowledge the Bulls' success in that pivotal moment would forever be remembered as the defining chapter in the rivalry between Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas. It was a clear indication of the competitive animosity that existed between the two players and their respective teams. Now, why is this such a big deal? I think because the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan made it a big deal. To this day, we have never ever said to the Lakers or the Celtics, hey, y'all didn't shake our hands or we won. They walked off the court. When we beat the Lakers, they walked off the court. We have never come out and was like, look at Larry. Look at the Celtics. They didn't shake our hands. Jordan didn't hold back when referring to the Pistons point guard. Well, I know it's all bullshit. Um, Whatever he says now, you know, it wasn't his true actions then. He's had time enough uh, to think about it. Or the reactions of the public has kind of changed his perspective of it. You can show me. Whatever you want, there's no way you can convince me he wasn't an asshole. The Bulls went on to win their first championship, the first for Michael Jordan and the first with Phil Jackson as coach. They captured the NBA championship in a convincing 4-1 series victory over the Los Angeles Lakers. It wasn't an easy road for the Bulls as they stumbled in game one of the finals on their home court. However, their resilience and unwavering belief in their abilities propelled them to bounce back winning four consecutive games and etching their names in basketball history. The city of Chicago rejoiced as they savoured their first taste of NBA glory. But as the confetti settled and the championship rings were adorned, the basketball world braced for the next chapter of our journey. In the upcoming episode of Battle of the Ballers, we delve into the captivating story of the 1992 Dream Team, a historic gathering of basketball legends representing the United States in the Olympic Games. Would the tension between Jordan and Thomas spill over onto the grand stage of the Dream Team? This is Battle of the Ballers, and this rivalry is about to reach new heights. Before you go, if you like heavy metal and stories, then you'll love Battle of the Bands, the narrative form metal podcast that unpacks the biggest rivalries in rock and metal history. Season 1 took in Megadeth versus Metallica, and Season 2 went across the divide to explore the beef between Judas Priest and Iron Maiden. It's like Business Wars, but metal. Find Battle of the Bands wherever you listen to your podcasts, or visit battleofthebandspod.com.